With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From the king of sports books comes the king of sports podcasts. Unleashed. Presented by BetMGM. Here's your host, Olivia Harlan Decker. Welcome back to Unleashed. Boy, this is a big week, you guys. This is a week we've been waiting for. I've been waiting for. I'm so excited. We have a new co host, my partner in crime. We're going to be doing this every week. You're going to be listening every week and you're going to have a good time with us because we brought in funny man, Giannis Pappas. You heard him a couple of weeks ago on the John Stamos episode. By the way, I hate to say it. That's been my favorite episode yet for obvious reasons. If no one has listened yet, make sure you go back and listen and help me welcome in my new co-host, Giannis Pappas. Thank you, Olivia. I'm excited about this. Yay, yay. Add some crowd goes wild. I'm sorry you guys couldn't get the real John Stamos, so I'll just have to do, (laughs) you know, I'm the lesser of the two Greeks and uh, I'm a huge sports fan. I had a sports show back in the day that I loved. I love speaking to athletes and uh, I'm a big fan of you, big fan of your pops. He's my favorite announcer. He makes it exciting. And I'm a big fan of your husband. Wow. I was rooting for them in the national championship game. Unfortunately, it didn't go didn't go their way. And also, I lost a lot of money on that. Well, that's the perfect convergence for now our show, because you've got a Decker, you've got sports betting and we've got you. Tell us more about your comedy history, because I'm always curious. Everyone thinks they're funny. I think. When do you know you can be professionally funny? You know, there's not much of a difference. I would like to make it mysterious and be like, hey, look, but it's like anyone can be funny. It takes a while, like you said, to be professionally funny. But I knew I was funny from when I was very little because that's the only thing I was ever good at. Usually those two things go hand in hand where it's like you're not good at anything except that. And that's the only thing I like to do is make people laugh. You know, you start doing comedy, just like with sports, you go and train. Our our training is the comedy clubs. And then you fail in front of people, which is what makes comedy unique. Like in sports, you go to the gym, you're shooting alone, you're doing drills alone. If you're a basketball player, I imagine if you're a gymnast, you're on on pulse, you know, I don't know what, what they do at home, but comedy, you go in front of people and people tell you right there, you're no good. So it's like right there. You're like, I'm just practicing. They're like, no, this is a show for me. I paid for it and you are no good. So uh, you have to build up a thick skin, you know, go to therapy. You know, I think the same is true of sideline reporters because you mess up in front of a national audience as well. I will tell you, if I have ever messed up on national TV, uh, my Twitter will let me know very quickly. No, you're right. And you know what? (laughs) When I did a show, I had a show and I was with two journalists who were used to like doing that type of thing. You can't, if you're talking about like a serious story or you're interviewing someone when you're on TV, it magnifies everything like a hundred percent. Like if you scratch your face yeah. on television, people are like, you know, if I did that with you now on a podcast, it's a much more relaxed environment. You're like, Oh, he probably had a niche, but if we're on TV and like millions of people are watching you, like, is he a crackhead? Is he doing drugs? Like <laughs> what? It just makes everything. So even when you stutter or, and I always admired that about reporters that they just, don't even stutter or like drop a word or an article. Cause otherwise people are like she's terrible at her job because she forgot an right. A before a word. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Well, now you are married to a beautiful woman. I saw her on, on Instagram. I hope we get all get together, maybe go on a double date soon when we can all travel a bit yes. more, but you're married to a beautiful woman and you have a beautiful daughter. Tell us about your home life. Yeah. Well, first of all, if, if we do a double date, I will remember to bring high chairs for me and my okay. wife so okay. we, can, we can all see each other. My wife's about five, four. I mean, you guys are tall drinks of waters. Right. Right. Yeah. It's great. She's, um, she's supportive. She's great. At the beginning, she enjoyed my comedy. Now she's just sick of it. Like she's oh, heard it all. And uh, I just help. Yeah. I just help her with the baby. I'm just, I come off the bench. She's the starting point guard. She mm -hmm. calls all the shots. And if I'm lucky enough to be running a wing, maybe she'll dish the ball to me for <laughs> a dunk. But other than that, like she just, I hear Giannis and I know it's like, I need to come do something and um, enjoying raising this baby during COVID. It was, you know, that's kind of the silver lining is that we were home with her. So that's cool. Yeah. I'm just getting ready to be told what to do. I have a female dog. I obviously have a female wife and I have a female daughter. So it's like, I am outnumbered and now I got a female co-host. So hey. like can't get any men to talk to me anymore. Man, that must be tough. That must be tough. Unless it's John Stamos. Unless it's John's name was, I can get him to text me. Yeah, we text all the time. I love it. Now, we do have an incredible guest coming on in a bit. It is Olympics. So we are going to be talking with Carrie Strug. She won the 1996 gold medal for USA Gymnastics. Her story is incredible. I cannot wait to talk to her. But Giannis, since you are Mr. Funny Man, I want to try to uh, tickle your funny bone a bit with some Olympic headlines that made me laugh. Okay. There are a couple, and I think everyone can agree already the years off with this year's Olympics, we're still calling it 2020, you know, there's been a couple weird things go on. So I wanted to see if you had heard about this one. Yeah. The one Argentinian last fencer. night with Simone Biles. It's just the trials, right? Though they're just like, she didn't have to bring it, you know, cause I was watching right. and I was like, she wasn't very Simone Biles like, so I bet you mm -hmm. she's going to really bring it when it's time. Absolutely. That's yeah. such a good storyline too. And again, Carrie will probably have some good insight for us because watching it, it is kind of tricky to watch and say, well, that doesn't look like an Olympic, you know, performance or game face or whatever, but yeah, she'll break it down for us. Honest, like did, the, she's like the Willis Reed of gymnastics. No, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Are you going to tell yeah. her that? Yeah. I, 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 if I remember to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you hear about the Argentinian fencer? I didn't hear what happened. Oh, this is good. This yeah. is so good. Maria Belen Perez Maurice. She lost. So following the loss, she was doing her media post-game interviews. When her coach proposes to her, she said yes. <laughs> I probably should have said that a little quicker. Yeah, she said that, yes. Wow. But this was her quote after, and this is kind of where I chuckled. She yeah. said, I forgot everything. I was like, oh my God. We are very happy. We are very good partners. Of course, we have fights, but we enjoy each other's time. First of all, I wouldn't get a, in a fight with my fencing wife. No, yeah. <laughs> and then she says, we love each other so much and we want to spend our lives together. We're going to celebrate in Buenos Aires with a big barbecue. Ah, yeah, because they're Argentinian. <laughs> so like they that their vegetables are just meat, meat next cubes. to meat. Yeah. Wow. Like if you drained a beef stew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So he proposed to her. We won yeah. fencing, right? America won. I, I think we won the gold. Yes. yes. We won the gold. <laughs> so it's like, here's an Argentinian trying to upstage the gold, getting proposed to. That was probably his move. He was like, if we don't win gold, we got to get on that Wheaties box. Maybe, or, I don't know what the Argentinian <laughs> Wheaties equivalent is. Maybe it's a uh, Pararita or whatever. It's like, look, if we don't win the gold, I'm proposing to her and that way we can make headlines and try to steal it from the USA, but make no mistake, the USA, we are number one at fake fighting. And yeah, <laughs> and well, when I first read the story, I was like, Oh my gosh, as a woman, I would not have liked to been proposed to on a day when my athletic dreams kind of crumbled in front of me. But right. I later saw that he said she was so sad and he wanted to make this bad day a good day. And if she had one, he would have waited. So that made it a little bit more romantic, I thought. Right. Yeah, a little bit. Um, how did how did you get proposed to? Well, see, my husband and I kind of go back and forth on this because yeah. I am very extra. Like I wanted like the band, the fireworks, the photographer, the blah, blah. It could not have been more low key. Yeah. And my husband said, I just didn't think you wanted all that. I was <laughs> like, do you know me? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know how and I would have done very it? Very sweet. <laughs> if I was him, I would have been like this. What's that over there? And then you would have turned back and I would have went right between the eyes. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's one of my favorites from your pops. I apologize. That was good. I would have just good. handed you the ring like that. Yeah. I proposed at Christmas. Okay. Proposals like mine. I nailed it. I got to be honest. I nailed it. Okay. Okay. She wanted it like in front of her whole family. She like alluded yeah. to it. And like, it's weird because comedians, when we're off stage, like we, I'm not, I'm like kind of quiet and I just kind of like a boring dude. And so I was sitting there on, on, on Christmas Eve. It was on Christmas Eve. Her whole family was there and I started getting resentful. I was like, I'm not doing this in front of her whole family. It's embarrassing. So I waited. Resentful. <laughs> I was resentful. I was, I almost had a Thelma and Louise moment where I was like, I'm just going to get in the car and drive off the side of the earth. Okay. I do believe the earth is flat. I'm just kidding. It's round. <laughs> Sorry, Kyrie Irving. But after all her family left, I was like, I'm not going to do it that way. After her family left, I was like, I got this present for you. Of course, I had the fake present. It was like a little purse and I saw uh-huh. her opening it and she kind of knew I might propose. So she was kind of looking for it. And while she was like looking for it in the purse, I pulled it out. She was on the floor. I was in the chair. As soon as she turned around, boom, it was eye level. And bang, <laughs> it was perfect. It was wait, 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 wait. You got to back up. Yeah. You know, the guy's supposed to kneel. You're telling me she was right. like perched uncomfortably on the floor and you're sitting in like a lazy boy. Right. Yeah. Well, I got to be comfortable too. You know what I mean? Like I'm, uh, I was comfortable. Yeah, you're right. She was actually, she was on the floor. And I was sitting above her, yeah, because I'm the king of the castle, and that's how wow. it goes. I was like, is this a Greek thing? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I messed it up. Actually, I handed her the card. She read the card, and it said, will you marry me? And then when she looked up from the card, I had the ring right there. So it was okay. perfect. Just like okay. a guy to forget exactly how he proposed. Man. I married her. We're married. It's an important now. moment, though. It is an important moment. So, yeah, fencing competition. She loses. She gets a ring out of it. Not a medal. Yeah. She might have wanted a medal more. Harder to get. Yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of funny. In the when you get the ring, you're really hoping you're like, ah, it's kind of tough when your engagement ring is a consolation prize. Right, right. Yeah. Well, here's another one that has to do with couples as well. So this is very on brand. So there's a U.S. softball player, Janie Reed. She's the starting left fielder. She's playing for gold on Tuesday night. This comes out on Thursday. So we'll know if the U.S. softball team won gold by then. But her husband is an MLB pitcher, and he switched teams while she was in Tokyo. He made his major league debut earlier this month, but was claimed off waivers this week by the Tampa Bay Rays from the Dodgers. And I can't imagine getting that call. Also, time zone wise, probably middle of the night for her. She's getting ready for the Olympics, trying to win gold for USA. And it's like, hey, honey, sorry, we're moving. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. honey, look, don't want to bother you. I know you're doing, you know, I know it's like once every four years or whatever. But guess what? I got college hunks that move stuff. What's that? (laughs) You ever see that truck? It's like, I think it's college hunks that move stuff is the name of the company. And it's like, I guess college dudes that move you. And it's like, yeah, we're, you know, yeah, we got, we got a new house, got a new I think condo. The MLB's probably above that. Are you sure you're not thinking of like two guys in a truck? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a pitcher, you're probably going to a little higher level than college yeah. hunks to move your stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've gotten, I know how she feels. I've gotten the call a couple of times from my husband. He was traded in the NBA four times. And I got that call um, once when I was about to board a plane and, you know, you got your digital boarding pass on your phone. And my husband's trying to call me to tell me he was traded from the Clippers to the Cavs. And I'm boarding a flight in New York to go home to LA. So I got a long flight ahead of me, right? And I'm about to show the boarding pass to the flight attendant, scan it and get on my flight. And I get the alert, like ESPN alert, Sam Decker traded to the Cavaliers. And I'm like, oh yeah, hang on. I'm going to go back with like the people in row 450 and make sure that this news is accurate. And I call my husband. I'm like, what the heck? Why did I just find out on on an alert? And he said, I was trying to call you. And I said, I was trying to board a plane. I couldn't answer. I'd have my digital boarding pass out. (laughs) This is actually like the perfect show for you because you can do it from Turkey. You can do it from Wisconsin. You can do it from anywhere. So you got it. Perfect. That is something that you have experience with that I don't, that's a crazy call probably to get. You're getting on a, it's like, by the way, I, I know you just made a lot of friends, but yeah, yeah, we're headed to Uzbekistan. Yeah. <laughs> don't bother like joining a book club or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, you're going to have to uh, learn a new language and uh, yeah. maybe change religions, but you know, I got a nice little condo. We're going to yeah. have fun in, in uh, Dagestan. <laughs> okay. I got one more for you. 
So there's a new sport this year at the Olympics. Actually, there are six new sports at the Olympics. Is it uh, women trying to destroy each other with fake compliments? Because that's my favorite sport. No? Oh my God. Is that like gold medal activity in New York or what's that like? I would love to watch that. Just like, oh my God, I love those shoes. And then judges. I think the South would clear out. If we made that just a domestic competition. I went to school at University of Georgia. I think the Georgians could do a good job. They can. They're good at it, right? Oh my God, I love that dress. Oh God, bless her heart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, but so of the new six sports, which is crazy that here we are 2021 adding sports, but one of them is women's street skateboarding. I saw this. Yeah. So guess who swept this year? Japan. Guess how old the star was? Nine? Not far. 13 years old. And the silver went to a 13-year-old Brazilian. Bronze went to a much, much older gal, wise beyond her years, really seasoned, wrinkles around the eyes. She was 16. She was from Japan. Now, guess who finished fourth? I'm hoping it's the USA. It is. A 34-year-old American who's a three-time X Games gold medalist. And look, she's got a master's degree from MIT. So think about that field of competition. (laughs) She could be their mother. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know what? It's kind of, you know, we invented skateboarding. It's kind of like what's going on with basketball right now. Hey. With with the, yeah, with the men. and uh, tough. You kind of, if we don't meddle in skateboarding, I feel like we just, Tony Hawk has to put on a wig and go out there. I mean, we can't, skateboarding is like, that's like Americans losing, losing a uh, Nathan's hot dog contest. Like Ooh. when we lost, yeah. And when we, you know, when then we had Chestnut come back and, yeah. and bring it home. I mean, that's yeah. us. That's what we do. Or losing and, an American football game. Yeah. yeah or losing an American football game. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know what you were doing at 13. And again, when we talk with Carrie, we'll know what she was doing at 13, because I guarantee we both look like major uh, late bloomers and maybe losers next to that. But when I was 13, I was getting my braces off, navigating politics of middle school hallways. Right. No, when I was 13, uh, I was smoking cigarettes, hiding it. Whoa. Yeah, I was. You are not a late Bloomer, you were advanced. No, yeah. Back then you go in and I'd be like, hey, yeah, you know, hey, my dad's in the car outside. He wants a pack of Marlboros and uh, some Budweiser. So I just pretended like I was getting it from my dad. But yeah, man. Oh, so they, they're really, we need to train like a generation. We got to get women into skateboarding so we can compete. I hope America, we got to motivate them somehow. Yeah. Like make a, like give them like a, a TikTok deal. I don't know what, you know, when the young American girls now, it's like, look, if you win gold in skateboarding, we will instantly, you'll get to meet Addison Ray, <laughs> you know, whatever it is that motivate, you'll get to meet Justin Bieber, something to get these girls cooking. Okay. I would start skateboarding. If I could meet Justin Bieber, I would start right now, 28 yeah. years old. I would be, I would be an old gal. They'd be wheeling me on my skateboard wheelchair. But yeah, there's going to be uh, some poaching going on in kindergarten classrooms coming up. We're four <laughs> yeah. years away. Get ready. <laughs> You're right, though. When you watch the Olympics and you hear how some how young some of these athletes are, it really does Crazy. make you feel like a loser. You're like, geez, what was I doing at 13? I was like, I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't practicing anything. Well, that's a perfect transition to get into our conversation with Carrie, because I want to hear about how her career started, because I read that she started competing at a high level at four years old. So I'm not sure if that's true or not. We got to ask her. Right. I guess she was climbing in her crib and stuff like that. Like, and her parents <laughs> maybe noticed it. And I, that's kind of on the edge of the crib. <laughs> yeah. And being tiny is, a, I guess, a talent in gymnastics, right? Because usually... It's like being born tall for basketball or volleyball. I mean, I think she's like four foot seven. I don't know what that is in the metric system. I'm not smart, but she's small. So, I mean, it's either that or she's going to ride a horse if you're an athlete, right? Right, right. At that level, yeah. Jockey or gymnast, but either way, she's coming on. Can't wait to talk to her. We welcome in Carrie Strug now. She was a member of the Magnificent Seven, won the 1996 gold for USA Gymnastics for the first time ever in very dramatic fashion. I know you've seen the video. People still talk about it today. 25 years later, she reflects on the experience with us now. A true legend in the sport. Welcome, Carrie Strug. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Olivia. It's great to be with you. 
you know, your Olympic story really started one month before the 1992 Barcelona games. You were the youngest, I believe, 14 or 15 years old. I can't imagine what yeah, that was like mentally. Time. Can any 14 year old be ready for that? Well, I think as a young athlete, you're used to being mentally tough. You learn how to focus on the task at hand and you're constantly, you know, pushing yourself past your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so you're taught from a young age to just focus on the routines and the actual skills versus everything around you. But obviously it's much easier said than done. And in the sport, it's such a youthful sport that we've seen in the Olympics, especially when there's such a spotlight on it. It seems like that mental toughness is just ingrained at you all. When did you start competing really competitively? In my day and age, you know, way back then, um, three decades ago, you couldn't start competing till you were eight. And so mm -hmm. that's when I started competing. And then by 10, I was already on that national level trying to vie for a spot on the national team. But everybody progresses differently. There's been some Olympians that didn't start till they were seven. And, you know, by the time they're 12, they're amazing. You know, today, it seems like the longevity is a lot different than it was back in the 90s. A lot of these women that we're going to be watching over the next few days are in their 20s. You know, Oksana Chutsevitna, she was 46 years old, competing in her eighth Olympic Games. Wow. So I think with diet, technology, learning how to train where you're not overtraining, but you have these peaks and valleys. It's really assisting young women, you know, to stay in the sport that they love because you put so much time and energy into it. It is kind of disheartening when you only got one shot. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't accomplish everything you'd like. Giannis, what were you doing at 14 years old? Were you uh, getting ready for an Olympics or something like that? I was not getting ready for an Olympics at 14 years old. I was paying summonses for loitering at 14 years old. And I was training for my private school basketball team to sit on the bench, Very which is nice. always pretty hard. Yeah. Rooting is hard. You have to train to root. And <laughs> I was know what? That, those members of teams are very important. We all need those, yes. you know, positive reinforcers who can come in at the last minute. Should they need to? <laughs> I started learning cheers and then the guys were like, you don't have to do full cheers. You can okay. just clap. Did they call it after you did a couple high kicks? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Carrie, you win bronze in Barcelona. You know you're preparing. You know you still have a couple Olympics left in you at that point, you would think. What were the next years like preparing for Atlanta? Yeah, in all honesty, I was really disappointed with our results in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. But I think oftentimes when you falter, that's just so much more motivation for many to then go full force, to sacrifice a little more so that you can get what you want. And that's kind of how it worked for me. I had originally always thought, you know, after the Barcelona games, maybe I'd just go to normal high school and then go do college gymnastics. But after taking a few weeks off, which gymnasts usually never do, I realized, you know, I still love the sport and I had a lot more in me. And so that's why I was willing to sacrifice another four years of my adolescence to vie for gold in Atlanta. I think for me, knowing that the Atlanta games, the 96 games were going to be in the United States mm -hmm. was really special. I watched Mary Lou Retton when I was just six years old at the 1984 Summer Olympic Games. And I don't know, I wanted my family to be there because they're a big part of your training and they have to right. deal with all the sacrifices and things like that. And so for me, that was a big motivating factor, knowing that they were here in the States and that everybody could participate. Yeah. Gosh, no. And what a sight that they all got everyone there that day. I, I can't imagine what was going through their heads. I mentioned earlier, it was just high drama, the way you all won gold. And I please correct me on these numbers if I get them wrong, because it all fell on your shoulders mathematically. You needed to go on the vault. You were the last. I believe you needed a 9.493 minimum um, for USA to win. You know, I don't know the exact scoring either after all these years, because everybody kind of has different takes on it. I think at the time, the Russians were not done competing mm -hmm. on the floor exercise. It takes longer than the vault. So at the time we thought I had to go. And then after the fact, it turns out that we probably would have won anyways. I don't think any Olympian, when you're in a team competition, if you're not sure, there's no way under any circumstances, you're just going to say, oh, woe is me, like, no thanks. <laughs> so I think as a 
gymnast, but really as any athlete at that level, you know, you work through a lot of aches and pains and you're used to dealing with adversity and if you fall down, you get back up and you do it again. You never just walk away if you're able to actually stand up. (laughs) This wasn't just any competition. Again, this Mm -hmm. is the Olympics, Team USA, the women had never won a gold medal. This is something I had wanted for the majority of my life. So um, I think for me, it was important to at least give it a try. I'm glad Mm -hmm. it all worked out because it definitely could have gone the other way. And I realized that there's so many athletes that work their whole lives and then they get on the Olympic stage and unfortunately they have a bad day. I mean, Mm -hmm. that happens, you know? So for me, it worked out and I'm forever grateful and very meaningful for me because as a gymnast, a lot of times I was known as the girl who was talented, but maybe wasn't strong mentally that always faltered in certain situations. So to finally be in that situation where all eyes were on me and to pull through was very self-satisfying. And it gave me a new boost of confidence to say, you know what? Like, you never know. You always got to keep going, be your best advocate and, you know, always believe in yourself because it may take a while for you to get there, you know? Um, Right. And you became the poster child then for strength. So any rumor or anything that was about you, then you put to bed and you became the face of strength and stoicism but can you walk our listeners through for anyone who's not so familiar with the story after you under rotated on the first vault you land your second one basically on one foot but what happened in between well we had had an amazing competition starting on the uneven parallel bars all the gymnasts on our team were doing the best that they really could and we were scoring great back in the day it wasn't that team usa just completely dominated and we could have little bob or falls and still win by a milestone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today it's a little bit different, but back then it was really tight with the Russians, the Chinese, the Romanians, but we went on from the uneven bars where everybody did their very best onto the balance beam, which, you know, that's four inches wide and four feet tall. So if there's one event, you're maybe going to get or have some problems because you're a little bit nervous. That's the one. But again, everybody went up hit the routine, stuck their dismounts, the floor exercise. We were on the, you know, home court per se, and everybody was getting behind us, clapping to the music. Then we go to the vault and right away there was problems in the warm-up. They weren't moving the springboard and the mats. And so myself and my teammate Dominic Muciano, we couldn't warm up the vault that we would compete. Mm. At that level, it shouldn't matter. You've done the vault a million <laughs> times. But to this day I wonder, like, did that do something to our psyche? Because wow. then she went up and fell twice, which is pretty uncharacteristic Mm -hmm. for any gymnast that trains under Bella Caroli. And I go up, it was like monkey see, monkey do, and I fell. And, you know, of course, I knew something was wrong with my ankle, but thank goodness, you know, there's no time to evaluate and know what's really wrong. Kind of said a little prayer to myself, focused on the tax at hand. I said, you can and you will do this. You're going to do this. You can't, you know, just positive affirmations. And then kind of went on automatic pilot. I was really lucky that my muscle memory had done this vault hundreds of thousands of times. And I'm very grateful that my coach made me do it when I was tired or when I didn't feel well, because I think that's what helped me pull through. It's such an iconic, iconic moment in Olympic history, American Olympic history. You guys sacrifice so much at such a young age to be gymnasts. When you retire, (laughs) do you just party? Do you just party all that missed childhood? Does it just kind of let itself out for a little stage? Well, I think everybody's a little different, you know, how they release, you know, pent up stress <laughs> or, um, you know, regimented lifestyle that you've had for so long. For me, I've always erred more on the more serious, like stoic side. I think, you know, I did go to college right after and it was culture shock. Let me tell you, (laughs) I used to think it was really bad to have a brownie. I remember when I first started, my roommate was going to go to a movie and it was a Thursday. And I was like, you're going to go out on a Thursday. (laughs) You know, you only do fun things on Saturday when you don't have workout on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So it took me over a year or so to kind of acclimate to understand that Not everybody lived on, you know, this training regime that I was used to. How how great was that first brownie? Have some fun and, you know, it would be okay. 
How did that first brownie taste when you had it? <laughs> I would say all of us on Team USA after the 96 games indulged big time in <laughs> every carbohydrate that's out there. And, you know, we're really petite, most of us, you know, five mm -hmm. feet tall or under. And so if you put on five pounds, it looks like a, a lot more. It's a challenge in that sense, too, because you're used to being extremely lean and having a certain image of yourself. And then things definitely change when you're not working out eight hours a day and you're eating what you want. But it's, you know, it all evens out. And I think in time, you realize everything in moderation. You know, you can exercise for an hour a day and that's sufficient. And then maybe have a dessert here and there, but not at every meal and then yeah. some. So, yeah. About an hour a day. Is that what you're putting in right now, Giannis? Yeah, I do. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm a comedian, so sometimes I'll work <laughs> like 10 minutes a night and that's it. And training is Oof. just sleeping until the set. So yeah. it's a little different, but I know you're, you're a serious comedian. Yeah. yeah. One time I had to get a 76 to pass a course and it felt kind of like your moment where you needed that score for the gold. And, uh, I didn't get it. So, but I, repre I repeated the grade and I, and <laughs> I passed the second time. So, you know, okay, well, there I you know, go. I, Perseverance. That's the key. That's what we want to teach all our young people out there. Right. You don't yes. make it the first time. Try, try again. So I think, you know, oftentimes the Olympics give us that extra motivation. We see these stories of these athletes and what they've been through. And that's what I really like about the Olympics and what I'm trying to tell my kids this time around, because they're old enough to watch and kind of understand, oh my goodness, they're the best in the world that what you're seeing in, on that television screen is kind of the end of the story. What really mm -hmm. should we should talk about is what's led up to that. They didn't mm -hmm. just get out there and swim really fast. Like they've been training for years and it's not just training. They're also, you know, having a certain diet and they're doing lifting weights and they're maybe running, they're cross training. And um, I'm trying to talk to my kids about all the elements that it takes to become an Olympian, not just, oh my gosh, they're so lucky. They won Olympic gold. That's so cool. You know? So I like watching the stories and hearing about the trials and tribulations that they had along the way prior to those Olympic games. And I know I'm very biased because of my experience and whatnot, but for me, it's a lot of fun to see these athletes and learn more about them and what kind of invigorates them to keep going and do better. And hopefully it helps a lot of us out there in our own lives. It doesn't have to be athletics, you know, it can be your career or being just a better person with your family or, you know, your academics or whatnot. But I think we all can do better each and every yeah. day, but it's hard to push yourself all the time. So sure. it's great to have a mentor or a coach. I know my kids don't think a parent always nagging you, but I want them to have that internal drive, but it's not always there. It can't each and every day. So I think you have a strong support system or, you know, a good team member by your side. It's a lot easier to achieve your dream. And achieving that dream. I can't imagine any sweeter feeling in the world than standing on that podium, but you were carried off of the mat after you finally land that double vault to perfection and the whole world was watching Bella Caroli's carrying you off the mat, your face. And I was rewatching it. I can't imagine anything feeling better, but you're also in pain. You're probably shocked. Um, you're probably exhausted emotionally, mentally. What, what do you think your face was telling the world? Well, I think I had a lot of contrasting emotions like you mm -hmm. just remarked on. For me, I always envisioned my Olympic experience to be like Mary Lou Retton's, my idol. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be so ecstatic and be grinning from, you know, ear to ear and waving to the crowd and jumping up and down. And obviously that wasn't how my story went down, but I think it that much more memorable because it goes to show a lot of people like things don't always go as planned, but it can still be pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think it stood as a metaphor for like what becoming an Olympian or achieving a dream is you know there's pain there's sacrifice but there's also so much joy and self-satisfaction and I had all of that up there on the podium because it was like mm -hmm. my dream is realized but I hurt my ankle I can't compete in any other events I was hoping to buy for individual medals and that's over so I'm sad but I'm ecstatic that we won the team gold and it's a complex thing and you have you know maybe five minutes up there on the podium you right. always think it's going to slow down like in the movies and you're going to have time <laughs> to, you know, just really enjoy it. It went quicker than I had 
lot of wood, but I tried to just be in the moment as much as possible. But obviously as a youngster, I'm still thinking, how could this happen? Why didn't, you know, why didn't I compete it the way I should? Why am I injured? There's always those self-doubts too. I think many Olympians, that's what makes them great is you, it's never enough. You know, you get that one gold medal, then you want two, or, you know, you win this, the hundred meter swimming, you know, freestyle, but now you, you have to go on to the 200. So it's those that are maybe never satisfied that it's, you know, it's a catch 22 because right. that's what makes you great, but that's what doesn't make you happy when you should be. So right. um, life is it's always changing. You're always learning and trying to, you know, enjoy the moment, but also move forward. Being a mom now, having a husband, um, when you have a fight with your husband, do you ever to win the argument, do you let them know that like, I'm an Olympian and maybe you should, you know, you don't want to disrespect your country right now. <laughs> do you use it as leverage? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, you know, I met my husband many, many years after the Olympics. Obviously, I'm very proud of what I accomplished and, you know, try and implement it into my daily life in terms of being a hard worker, doing the right thing, understanding, you know, I'm going to have challenges and falter, but I still have to keep moving in the direction I want to go. But yeah, no, we've, you know, created our life together in a different terms. And like everybody, you know, we have our challenges here and there. But overall, I'm really, really lucky. It's been interesting, though. I like to be in control. And so having two kids that also like to be in control, <laughs> I've learned a lot. You know, I think I'm just used to doing what I think is right and following, you know, I followed directions and never questioned for better or worse. It's a very different 30 years later than it was when I was a young, it's really good that mm -hmm. um, our young people have a voice and that they're doing things. But sometimes, I don't know, I wish maybe they weren't so independent. My two, I'm like, <laughs> just, you know, follow sure. directions, please. But they're great kids. And, you know, I feel honored to be their mom, but it's just different in terms of the way I was brought up through the Caroli system per se. Yeah. And now. Do you think your kids could handle the Carolis or that would be that this generation couldn't handle that type of. <laughs> no, you know, and no, I would do it over again in a minute, but I wouldn't want my kids oh. to go through. So neither of them is involved in gymnastics. They love sports. Son oh. is involved in everything imaginable. I know we're going to have to hone in and um, focus on just one or two in the next few years. But for now, he's having a great time doing ice hockey, soccer, tennis, baseball. You know, he does all of them in the different seasons and whatnot. We just like to get the energy out. And then my daughters, like most typical girls, like dance and gymnastics mm -hmm. and cheerleading. We put her in tennis as well, but they're definitely keeping me busy. I'm well, trying it's well to documented. The Caroli camp, the, the strictness being regimented. Um, you all were so mentally tough going into that and through that now as a grown woman with kids in sports, how do you view your experience? I know you said you would do it again in a heartbeat, but is there anything left on the table that has resonated differently now as an adult? Well, I think this team that's in Tokyo right now has shown that you can kind of do it on your own terms. They're mm. um, a little bit older, like we talked about at the beginning this interview and I think many of them are extremely self-driven mm -hmm. and that's not to say that they are not they are working like very hard and they're very disciplined but they also know if they want to have that longevity that they maybe when they're a little bit injured have to take a break and under the old system I think it was just the more repetition the more you do then you know we can wake you up in the middle of the night and you can perform that routine perfectly because you've done it literally hundreds of thousands of times. But I think science has grown to show, you know, on some level that you need to rest and recuperate. And mm -hmm. that really helps with your performance and obviously with your ability to compete for a much longer period of time. You know, was that ever done by the way, the wake up in the middle of the night and perform your routine? Not in the middle of the night, but okay. it would be at six, in the morning or nine mm -hmm. at night or in the middle of the day. It's just, you need to be able to do this without any warm up wow. and just be able to go kind of on automatic pilot. And 
I think for many that maybe aren't as mentally tough, it's extremely beneficial. It really is because you just go. Um, but there's many that I think still would have prospered even if we didn't work that way. So, you know, each individual is a little different. Everybody on the Olympic level is talented, but I really truly believe it's who puts it together when it counts most mm-hmm. and everybody works hard. I mean, nobody gets a free lunch every right, right. Just gymnasts, but those, everybody you're watching on your television screen in Tokyo has worked really, really hard, no matter where they're from or what their sport is. It's a lifestyle and it's a true commitment for not just a couple years, but for many, a decade or more, you know, it's pretty grueling, um, but they make it look easy when you watch them on your television screen. How does this team compare to the Magnificent Seven? Did you guys take them? Oh, no. And we're very, very different. I think the skill level today is much harder. But back in the 90s, we had to do the compulsory exercises, which was much more technical. It's when everybody did the exact same routines, but they graded you on, you know, the amplitude and the precision. Whereas now it's much more focused on the difficulty level. They actually have the two scoring systems where, you know, one is based on difficulty and one is based on execution but the skills that these young girls are doing today Mm. I'm glad that I'm watching because it is amazing I just never thought that it was humanly possible to do some of these moves so um, I'm in awe of these young girls and you know their ability to push past their fears and then be able to execute them safely now, USA Gymnastics has had a rough couple years. What are you hopeful about in this new chapter? You've mentioned the women are having voices. I think now learning what we have learned, there's so much respect for your generation of USA gymnasts. What are you hopeful moving forward in USA Gymnastics? Well, I think what we've seen, there's been a lot of changes, not just in gymnastics, but in women's sports in mm-hmm. terms of you know, equality and and the voice and whatnot. So, you know, I think we have to grow and learn, obviously, from what transpired. And I'm kind of out of the mix, but I hope, and it Mm -hmm. seems like that's what has happened thus far. I think, you know, I have a young daughter and I can't imagine how it would feel if, you know, she was a victim. So Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that young women came out and discussed what happened and that, Things are in place now that hopefully something like that will never happen again. Really, really unfortunate what transpired, but moving forward, I'm very hopeful. We'll only go in the right direction. That's really well said. I I think being a mother probably changes your opinion on most things. I, I always hear that. I have, you know, siblings with children and they say it changes the way you look at anything really. I'm curious if you watched the documentary Athlete A and your thoughts on it. I did watch it. And, you know, again, I think for me, that was not my experience. I have not. I was so fortunate not to be a victim. I'm not a survivor. So I I just Mm -hmm. am not comfortable speaking on their behalf because I Mm -hmm. have no idea what that's like. And I feel sorry for, for everything they went through, but I don't like advocating on their behalf because I don't think I can even begin to comprehend. I think I can, but I think until you're an actual victim, you have no idea what that recovery process is or what that impact it has on you. So, you know, I commend them for coming out and I think it's, you know, crucial for these future generations that we don't forget and that we, again, implement safety measures to make sure not just the Olympians, but all athletes in whatever sport you're in are protected and that we can feel comfortable. Because for me, I always feel like, oh, athletics is so positive. You learn, Mm -hmm. you know, about time management and perseverance and dedication, and it assists with your self-esteem. But after, you know, learning about all this, it can be detrimental for a lifetime. So I think it's important to educate even our youngsters, obviously in a different way. And then moving up the line to just remind everybody that you got to advocate for yourself and make sure that, you know, maybe you're intimidated by this coach or this person, but, you know, you have a right 
to, to do what needs to be done. I appreciate you saying that. I'm sure it's very difficult to speak on and, and you are so eloquent and you've been such a voice for future generations. Now, I know you do a lot of work around gyms around the country and, and speaking to families and gymnasts. So your, your work is so credible. Thank you for speaking about that with us. Yeah. Um, again, a mom, I think it changes a lot of things, but I don't, not having had the experience, I don't like to dwell too far because I, Absolutely. I have a very peripheral view, you know, it's not in, not in that climate. Carrie, I've been, uh, I've been watching the Olympics with my wife. And like you said, it's watching people, these women do unbelievable, like superhuman things. <laughs> I was watching last night on the beam. How do you approach the fear of what could go wrong on the beam? Like I'm scared to go out on a terrace because I'm scared of heights. How do you, does that, is that something that gets increasingly less scary or you, are you just, you just have no fear at the outset? You know, I think it's different for everyone. For me, I was really not a fan of the beam ever. Um, it was my least favorite, but there's other gymnasts out there that just feel very comfortable and they love it. It was their favorite. And, you know, with all that pressure, they're not intimidated. They just go out there and they rock their moves. They're solid. They're right over the top. It's nothing. but. When I was competing, it was the one where after I completed the beam successfully, it was a huge sigh of relief for me. The floor exercise and the vault were always ones that I just felt much more comfortable from day one. I loved flying through the air. I was much more powerful than graceful. Yeah, learning the tricks on the beam, though, it's a progression. You know, you obviously start on the floor and then you go to a low beam and then a higher beam with a mat. Again, the skills these girls are doing today I'm very grateful I'm watching from my chair instead of having to perform them because I think I would be shaking literally while I was up there right before I had to throw those skills. But like anything, you know, you do it enough times, it becomes second nature. Carrie, yeah. can you give our listeners a little preview of what's on deck the next week for USA Gymnastics, the women's team? Well, I know, um, you know, they had a few little bubbles here and there in the prelims, but it just goes to show you that they're human. I think we've just become accustomed to them performing perfectly pretty much every time. Right. And, you know, I think in this day and age where the media is running 24-7 with the various formats, you know, we got to come up with certain stories here and there. But for me, they're extremely strong. They're going to do great. It's a competition against themselves, pretty much. Team USA is spectacular, not only in their difficulty level, but their ability to execute. And because they're performing these tricks that are just so much harder than everybody else, you know, if they bobble here or there, that's still okay. They're still on top. Of course, we'd love for them to be absolutely perfect, but this is the Olympics. There's a lot of pressure. They're out there on the world stage. We can't all always be perfect, but they're pretty close. <laughs> so I guess, you know, maybe for a story, everybody'd like to say, oh, you know, it's going to be tight. I don't know. Looking at the past decade or so, I think they're going to be a-okay and bring home many, many medals. Well, I love the way you romanticize the Olympics because us as viewers at home, we certainly do. And it's very cool to hear it from a former gold medalist saying that and the lessons that you've drawn from your experience um, is, is immortalized. So thank you so much for sharing that. That was really fascinating. We appreciate you coming on the show, Carrie. Yeah. And let me oh, just say, I remember 96. I watched it. This was a great experience talking to an Olympian. And I hope Quentin Tarantino makes a movie, The Magnificent <laughs> Seven, and you guys fight the hateful eight and win. You fly through the air and you win. It was uh, it was an honor to meet you and speak to you. And um Thank you so much. Well, thanks, Giannis. Thanks, Olivia. I appreciate your kind words and go Team USA, right? Let's go, yeah. USA. 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 <laughs> the Lions. Yeah. 
We love this segment. We bring in our betting expert from BetMGM, Peter Andrew, who we were just discussing is a little bit Greek as well. So it's like immediate bromance with Giannis. What's going on, guys? Yeah, he's my agape move right here. <laughs> Kukla, sagapo, sagapo. I love you. He's married to a Greek, so. Also, Olivia, you referred to me as the betting expert, but I think you're actually the betting expert now, according to a couple of my colleagues from last weekend in Detroit. Oh, yes, I'm trying. Okay, so here's the deal. I don't live in a gambling state. So when I went with our BetMGM family to stay at the MGM Grand in Detroit last week, I was really eager to go to our sports book in person and have some fun on the app. Because before, you know, when I'm at home, I can't do anything. So every time we're talking gambling, I can see all the lines, but I can't, I can't put my money where my mouth is. That changed on Wednesday. And I did all right. Um, my one funny story is I was going to meet our crew for dinner and I had just kind of gotten everything all downloaded on the app and I'm wanting to put together a monster of a parlay for myself. And I do like five different outcomes on all the MLB games at night. And as I'm running out, you know, grabbing my purse, but not my lip gloss going downstairs. I accidentally add like 49ers to win week one in this parlay. <laughs> so this is now the weirdest combination of events. And I, I got down there. It's like, oh, shoot. Because I, I wanted to like cash out this week, right? I wanted to do well. And now I've got to wait till week one <laughs> of NFL. Well, seven. the good the good news is as an Niners fan, I know we play the Lions week one. So you uh-huh. probably will win that parlay. <laughs> I, th- I thought about that after, but I had to look. I was like, wait, who do they even play? Why did I do that? My my thumb did it. It's like when you have fat fingers and you text. This was that. Story of my life. But I did all right. And then I was texting you yesterday, Peter. I was driving with my husband from Wisconsin to our house in Kansas City. So in Iowa, I got to have a little bit more fun on the app. And so now I'm... I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty into it at this point, but I've made a lot of future bets. So I can just, every time I travel for work, hopefully be able to put my money where my mouth is some more. But speaking of which basketball now we've been looking ahead at some of the games coming up after USA loses to France. How are you feeling about USA basketball for the rest of the games this week? Well, fortunately for them, I think they have Iran in the next game, which Mm -hmm. they are a 41.5 point favorite. They don't win that game. There's a bigger problem. I think pop might get fired mid Olympics. Has that ever happened? They're going to (laughs) win. There's a first for everything. You know, 41.5 is a lot of points to cover. They're going to win the game. They're going to win it pretty handily, but it's tough saying a team is going to win by 42 points. So I may stay away from that, mm-hmm. but I do like the under. So under 166 and a half. Yeah. I think we know Iran's just not going to score many points. You know, it's it's funny though, because you had some of the USA players saying people in the Olympics, they play differently. They Evan Fournier is an example. These guys are playing with some heart. And, and then you have the USA guys that are a little bit lazy. They obviously went through a full playoffs. They're, they're tired. They don't have their legs under them. So the more you see that, the more they play a team like Spain or, or an Argentina or a France, and those guys are going to want it more. So it's going to be tough for them. I'm putting money on Iran. <laughs> I think they're a uh, thousand to one to win the game on. Uh, on Come on, daddy needs a new pair of shoes. Let's go. I they, love Giannis because he can even just say anything, no punchline, and like cracked me up. <laughs> like, I just, he just kind of looks because we are on Zoom right now. We can see each other, and I love the way he just looks at the camera and smiles. I mean, I just makes me laugh. And then USA plays Czech Republic on Saturday. Same story. Yeah, I think the Czechs are a seven and a half point underdog. I think they play uh, France maybe in the next yeah. couple of days. It's going to be an interesting test for them. If they keep it close, I think you have to take have to take the checks to keep it close against us i think it's just um you got these teams that are fresh again they, they just want to play they want to medal usa is playing lazy until they prove otherwise you kind of have to fade them which is crazy because they're still we were talking about this offline they're still a heavy favorite to win it all and win gold so mm-hmm. they got to prove it to us but france is a favorite to win group a at minus 550 would you take that yeah, I think that's yeah. a pretty big lock. They have a really good NBA team. They have Fournier, Batum. They got, they got a lot of decent guys. Gobert, of course. So I think that's pretty big lock. You have to put a couple bucks on, so 550 wins you 100. But to me, that's a $300. Okay, I'm driving back to Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think also like chemistry problems for the U.S.? I mean, it's like, you got two players on that team that just went to war for seven games. They got off a plane. How do they instantly become teammates after, in a lot of instances, they were covering each other. Yeah. And then I completely agree with that. And then you had 
you know, grumblings today that people don't like this San Antonio offense that Pop is running. So you combine those two things, guys that are exhausted, they're just not gelling. You got guys like Durant and Lillard that want the ball and need the ball. They want the last shot. <laughs> they didn't prove much of it because they were missing wide open threes and wide open 18 footers. But all that, that adds up. And then if you have an offense you're just not happy with or you don't like running and it's not the Krzyzewski offense they ran four years ago, that's all going to make a difference. So I'm completely on board with that. And I, I think you have to look at it and say, can they make it work? If not, then they're going to be in trouble. Well, after the loss to France, Popovich is six and three since taking over Team USA from Coach K. We mentioned they play Iran Wednesday, Czech Republic Saturday. Check out the BetMGM app to place your bets. Now, Peter, golf starts Wednesday. What should we know? Yeah, so a bit of a crazy week so far. DeChambeau tested positive for COVID. And then John Rahm tested positive for COVID again after getting it a month ago at the memorial. Awful. Already having the vaccine, already having COVID. Awful. So really, really terrible. But I think there's a couple of people you have to look at. Colin Morikawa is obviously in probably the best form of his life, just coming off an open championship win. He's seven to one to win gold. I think he's got a really good shot. Uh, Cameron Smith, solely based off his new mullet that he put in uh, for the Olympics today. Uh, he's 22 to one, but he's obviously been a great golfer this year. He's had some really good finishes, top 10 finishes on the tour. And then last one, Hideki Matsuyama. Winning in your own country is huge. If he's able to win in Japan, that's obviously a huge honor. I have him plus 400 just to medal, so bronze, silver, or gold. But I think he's going to come take this really, really seriously. A lot of guys are having fun, the experience. But you got a guy like Matsuyama who's pretty serious, and he obviously wants to win in front of his own his own fans and his own country. Dude, do you think, like, it's in Japan? So it's like, I just remember that Roy Jones Jr. fight in Korea where they gave it, that was like the biggest robbery I've ever seen. Do you think the Japanese, they're very good with technology, so what they do with the drones, you think maybe they juice his ball a little bit with like a robot to go right into the hole? Yeah, no slice. I think they can pull it off, getting an extra 50 yards on the drive. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm, I'm betting on him, I'm betting Japanese. on Iran. Right here, you heard it. I'm betting on him and I'm betting on Iran. <laughs> That part, yeah, that parlay might bankrupt us. So if it hits, Lord help us all. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre that the golfers keep getting COVID, right? Like the most individual sport, and right. here they are yeah. getting COVID. Why? And also, I mean, there's really no interaction with anyone except for your caddy, who, if you have it, he's yeah. probably probably has it as well. I'm of the mindset of let him play. Make sure they just don't handshake. They touch their own golf ball. They don't have any interaction with people. It's really, really weird, but that's for right. our politics podcast for uh, for Thursday. <laughs> no, you're yeah, right, dude. If looking they move forward the, to that one. <laughs> if they move it, to, they should just, if they test positive for COVID, they should just move the golf to Florida and just let them have at it, you know? Yeah, no let one it gets it in Florida. It, it doesn't exist. <laughs> now, oh, we did We're going off the, off the rails here. Yeah. Baseball and softball are two of the new sports this year. There are six new sports. Baseball and softball kind of count as one to some people. And they have been Olympic sports before, but now they're back. Uh, with baseball and how strong Japan is as a country in the sport, what are you expecting there? Yeah, it's tough because USA, obviously, all Major League Baseball players are playing in season right now. Yeah. Any of those teams like a Japan that have a lot of their professional players playing, I think you have to go for it. Uh, you got amateurs, college players, essentially playing for Team USA. I think the home favorites are, are heavy favorite, rightfully so. So I think you got to roll with them. A couple of the other sports are pretty cool, too. I love that skateboarding's there now. And then um, three-on-three basketball. I just yeah. feel like I'm watching basketball at the park. So <laughs> maybe us three will get in for the next Olympics in four years. The bar is low. Well, Peter Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your betting advice. And thank you for getting me so hooked, especially this last week. I'm loving the app. You told me give any feedback. The app is incredible. If you don't have it, make sure you get it. And next time you're on a road trip going through just about every other state, you can go ahead and place a bet. Having a lot of fun with it. Peter, thank you. Thanks. Good luck on that parlay. Follow us everywhere at BetMGM and listen and rate, review wherever you listen to podcasts.
With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l e e s a dot com slash iHeart.